Well, hi, everybody. My name is Father Alex. I'm the host of the Godcast. I'm also the vicar of St. Matthew's Church in Burnley, and I'm the author of uh, this book, Our Daily Bread, From Argos to the Altar, Priest Story, uh, which is out now. You can get that on Amazon and Waterstones and all good bookshops. Brilliant guest today. Can't wait for you to uh, watch and listen to uh, this interview with Boff Worley. Boff is uh, a former... Uh, member of the band Chumbawamba, and he is uh, also a writer, and he is a playwright, and he is also uh, an extraordinary fell runner. So we're going to be learning a bit more about Boff in this Godcast now. I do hope you enjoy it. If you do, please subscribe, please share it, and uh, check out all the many other interviews that are on the site now. So do enjoy this interview now with Boff Wally. Well, I'm delighted to say that uh, to joining that joining me on the Godcast today is uh, Boff Worley. Boff is a, a originates from Burnley. He's a, he's a playwright. Uh, he's a, a, a former member of Chumbawamba, and we're going to be uh, find a little bit about him now. Uh, Boff, welcome to the Godcast. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, good to talk. I just, um, I mean, this is just totally kind of colloquial uh, Burnley stuff. I want to know about. Burnley really and, and and a bit about where you grew up and what school you went to and you know what were you uh, listening to as a kid in uh in the 70s well I grew up in uh I was born on Sand Street which was um I was there for about for seven or eight years of my life and that was um, one of the streets that got knocked down for the M65 to be built all right in Whittlefield so it it was it was a um it was brilliant I was it was just with my mum for quite a while my dad went, and uh, my grandma and granddad lived about two or three doors down on the same street. So it was just, you know, classic Burnley, 1960s, 70s. But then we moved up to um, um, Plain Tree Close, up on, up on, uh, at the top of, near Manchester Road, Rosendale Road. Yeah, um, well, I live, I live on Rosendale, well, I don't keep my address away, really, but but I live in that, I live in that area, it's probably best to say, and... Um... yeah. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was it was great up there, yeah. And what were school days like for you? Were they were they were they good days? Yeah, I enjoyed school in terms of like just having mates and kind of you know learning what to do. I I was obsessed with football, and I wanted to play for Burnley. And um, my dad, my new dad that came along, he was the um, he he was the manager of the Burnley youth town team. So when they had trials for the town team when I was eleven. Burnley East versus Burnley West uh, at Cherry Fold on Cherry Fold playing fields, a uh, really muddy day. And uh, I, I kind of just assumed that he would pick me because, because I was his, his son, his new son. And he didn't, he didn't pick me. So I didn't play for the time team and it devastated me. It was kind of a big turning point. It was that, you know, that point where you think, oh, perhaps I won't be a professional footballer after yeah. all. So then I, out with him, both. You are? Did you have it out with him? I do remind him at least once a year. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, um, what what school did you go to as a kid round round these parts, Boff? Well, I went to Whittlefield first, and then we when we moved, I went to um, uh, Lower House. Yeah. Because um, my dad was a teacher, primary school teacher at Colclough, so I I wasn't allowed to go there. He was, was like, no way. So I went to uh, Lower House, and then to Burnley Grand. Well, Ivy Bank first. Ivy Bank, yeah. And then to Burnley Grammar School. 
Brill. Well, we better widen this out a bit because uh, I don't think my... Uh, <laughs> let's my go international. Yeah. It's like, you know... Let's, back... let's bring in Padium and Padium. <laughs> like that. Yeah, let's bring in Come Padium. Come on, Worcester <laughs> Well, I grew up in Worcester so... Um, ah. Yeah, but anyway, so you, you, so you weren't going to make it as a, a footballer. And um, you know, what about music, Boff? What was... Um, what music were you listening to, you know, perhaps at high school? Um, I remember being a bit kind of bloody minded in that I, uh, before punk came along, I was listening to um, stuff like Frank Zappa and the Bonzo Dog Band and kind of humorous stuff and, and things like that. Um, National Lampoon records. And uh, just because I wanted to be a bit odd, a bit different from everybody else who seemed to be listening to Genesis and Emerson, Lake and Palmer and all that sort of thing. But then when punk came along, that was it. It just kind of blew everything else out of the water. And um, I kind of found a new community that wasn't just people who lived on our street or people who went to who were in my class. I discovered this big community of people that wanted to do things and wanted to start fanzines and musicians' collectives and put gigs on and, and you know, all sorts of, you know, make badges. And it was just, it was just a, a, like a, a kind of little mini revolution in East Lancs. And what did, that, what did that look like, Bob? Because I suppose if you broad brush it, people think punk rock, they think the Sex Pistols. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a few years uh, younger than you. And when I was at school in, in Nelson, you know, I remember names like the Anti-Norway League, uh, Alien, Sex Fiend, those kind of bands were yeah. kind of in the ether. I didn't really know much about them. But what, yeah. what did it look like in terms of bands? What what were you listening to? Um, well, right at the beginning, it was... It, 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 I remember thinking, right at the beginning, thinking... This is really interesting because it's not just the Clash and the Pistols. It's not just four men with guitars. So there were like things like there was Patrick Fitzgerald who was like acoustic. There was John Cooper Clark doing poetry. There were bands like the Slits and the Raincoats and X-Ray Specs. You know, with really strong women involved. You know, I'd, I didn't know about women in bands at that point. Every, it was all about men and boys. Yeah. And then suddenly there's these bands like the Slits really in your face and... Uh, challenging all the ideas you had about and so and all the music's really different there was kind of acoustic stuff reggae stuff loud punky stuff so it was it was just a fascinating time and so when we decided me and me and a few mates decided we could be a band even though none of us could play an instrument um we just kind of decided to be a band found a name and somebody gave us a gig so we thought right well we better think of something to do but that that kind of experimental, you know, have a go attitude was was right in the heart of it all. Otherwise, I would never have been a musician because I just thought musicians were people that practiced in the bedrooms, you know, since they were twelve, and then, yeah. and you know, and they play at Earl's Court and yeah. Wembley Stadium. So it was just it was an incredibly creative and inspiring uh, time. So I'm interested to know you did go. Learn an instrument. My my dad, it was he's uh, been dead a few years, but he was a self-taught uh, pianist. Well, how did you go about that process, Boff? We 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 literally met round at Dan's house, Danbit's house on Rosendale Road, and there were must have been about seven or eight of us who all decided we were going to be a band, and we said, right, well, who's going to play what? And someone I can't remember, someone Pete or me, just someone said, uh, well, I'll have a go at drums because you know my brother's got a kit. You know, I could borrow that, and that's literally how we did it. And I was like, "Well, my mum's got this old Spanish guitar that honestly must have must have cost about two pound fifty. Um, 
I hope my mum never hears this. She'll think I'm being really because it because that was the the brilliant thing that got me going. I just thought, right, I've got an acoustic guitar, and we we turned up for a gig, having learned a few songs. That was the other thing is that I, you know, suddenly I was like, oh great, how do I write a song? I better start learning how to write a song. And um, I I was always more of a songwriter than a than a musician. I remember getting on stage at the Nelson Railway Workers Club with a, a borrowed electric guitar and with the lead, a curly lead, and I said to somebody, well, what do I do with it? Where do I put it? Well, I plug it into the amp. And I looked at the amp and it just seemed to have loads of different holes and dials. And I said, which one? Somebody said, come here, give it here. And they plugged it in. And that's how much I knew about music when I got on, on a stage. And I quickly realised that I loved the organisation of it and the songwriting. Yeah. I, I, the playing guitar wasn't the, the big deal of it. No. Did it, did it take long to become... Half decent as a guitarist, that you know, did, did you take to it quite quickly? Yeah, fairly quickly. Yeah, yeah. I think everything I learned in the first maybe a year that's kind of about, about as, as far as I got. I never really improved after that. <laughs> and, and those songs you mentioned, did, had you written those songs or would they had they been covers or no? No, we 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 that was another great thing about punk is that it was like if you're going to be in a band, you've got to write your own songs. So we didn't really know about the idea of doing covers, we so we just wrote an entire set of our, of our own songs. And that's when I really kind of thought, I love this because I'd grown up listening to stuff like the Beatles and Frank Zappa and, and you know, and all those, ele all those elements went into it. You know, harmonies and melodies and stuff like that. I just thought, oh, this is great. I really enjoy doing this. Can, can you remember what those first few songs were about or what the, you know? Yeah, they were all like satirical and stupid and, and, and um, they were meant to be funny, but they weren't really. Um, um, yeah, they were just a bit, you know, a bit silly and rubbish. Because <laughs> we had the, uh, we our heroes were local band Not Sensibles. And uh, Sage from Not Sensibles, I was like one of his best mates. And we used to go to Manchester to buy singles when, you know, when there were only like probably 25 punk singles available. We'd get on the bus and go to Manchester. But he was, I just looked at them. They started being in a band and I thought, that looks great. I want to do that. So we really looked up to them and they were silly and wrote silly, stupid songs. So we thought, oh, maybe that's what we should do then. I'm just interested to know, Boff, because it is a it is a God cast and people who watch this yeah. will recognise that I'm a priest. Priest, was, was there any uh, religion in your upbringing or, and were you, uh, were you empathetic to it or apathetic? I was I was brought up as a Mormon in a Mormon family, and all my, you know, Burnley family, my mom and my sisters and everybody else, they're all still Mormons, and uh, and I think that from probably the age of maybe about ten or eleven, I start it started dawning on me that because we used to go to church all the time, like twice on a Sundays and once on a Tuesday, and it was full time, proper full time, and they're all absolutely lovely people. I've got, I wouldn't say a word against them in terms of what lovely people they all are, you know, at the Burnley church and everything. But from the age of about 11 or 12, I started thinking, well, actually, all this stuff that people are talking about, you know, the still small voice inside you that's that speaks to you or that, you know, talks when you, that answers your prayers, nothing was happening. And I tried praying and it's like, nope, that's not working. So I'll try, you know, hoping for something or... Nope, that didn't work. There was, there was just nothing there. And 
every every once a month they have a, a thing called fast and testimony meeting where people get up and and give share their kind of testimony and their belief in in God and the church and everything. And I used to sit there just a bit puzzled because I just thought that's not there's nothing happening for me. Yeah. And then later on when I discovered kind of politics and anarchism and stuff like that, but then later things like pantheism, which is basically um, this kind of uh, belief in in the spirituality of everything, people and nature and the world, everything living, and that we all share that, we all share this planet and it's our duty to to kind of honour and look after each other and look after the planet. Then I became, I kind of thought, okay, this is, this is the kind of thing I yeah I like. Was that um, sorry about the dog barking then, everyone? But uh, uh, it's good. It's like it's nice to have a dog <laughs> around. And... I was just wondering, um, both about the conversation that you perhaps maybe had with your loved ones about that at some point. You know that maybe this is just not for me. Was that was that a difficult conversation? And 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 was that was that respected? And does it remain attention? It it. We, I never had the conversation. We, I lived in a, my, my family didn't really talk about things like that. Um, I just kind of stopped going. Yeah. And it became kind of recognised that I wasn't going to church and that, you know, the things I was getting into to do with, you know, music and you know, the, the kind of lifestyle thing wasn't, didn't fit with Mormonism. So, and, and my mum especially my mum, because she's the kind of matriarch and she she was the first one. She'd been converted. Uh, she was She's always been absolutely brilliant. She always just treated me as, well, I'm her son. So, you know, and I, one of the things that, um, one of the things about Christianity that, that kind of troubles me a bit is that, is that really good people, lovely people who are, who are practicing Christians can sometimes believe that it's the belief in Christ that makes you care, that gives you empathy, and that makes you want to, you know, look after people. Whereas I think you can do that without religion. And that, um, and I think my mum recognised that. She recognised I wasn't going to go off and just do loads of drugs and and beat people up. And do you know what I mean? I, I she knew that I had a a good head on my shoulders and that I, I was I cared about things. And so we have a brilliant relationship now. You know, it's great. <clears throat> well, I can only I can only agree with you. I, I definitely don't think you have you can only do good things by being a Christian. And I, I think uh, you know I know lots of people that do wonderful things who, who who've never even been in a church. So I certainly wouldn't critique you for that view. And and as you're <laughs> growing up, uh, Boff, you kind of you've picked up the the instrument. You're singing the songs. Did do, do you decide at this point this is the career that you want to have? What's going on in in a young Boff Wally's mind, it was never a, a career. That that word was was a dirty word. Yeah. So it started out as a the first band was just a, a laugh, and then when we started Chumbawamba, uh, we'd been busking for two summers in Paris, like trying to make money playing outside. For and um, at that point, we thought, let's really take this seriously. But that didn't mean a career. That meant um, really practicing and rehearsing and learning how to write songs and trying to get gigs and all that sort of thing. And um, I still think that the highlight of that, all that time I spent in a band was um, we made our, we made the first, our first single, we kind of paid for it ourselves and everything. And we put it out ourselves on our own label. 
and we sent one to John Peel. And when John Peel played it, that was like, it was like, this is it. This validates everything I've done in my life up to this point. John Peel's playing our record and then he played it again and then again and again. And, and I, I just thought, this is great. This is what I want to do. And at the same time, we all had part-time jobs. You know, I'd worked in at the post office and in shops and all sorts of things. And you 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 went over to Leeds. What what was the what was the pull to Leeds? Was it studies or what it was is that I got a job at the post office in Burnley and it only lasted about three months. Um and the one of the the foreman on the shop floor at the post office, he came in and he said, uh, because my granddad had been a post or postman all his life. He said, Oh, you know, I know your granddad George was a he was a great postman, and you know, there's a real career in this if you stick to it. And we're thinking that um You've obviously like got a bit of brains, so we're thinking we're going to put you in the dead letter office. And what you're doing there, you just basically go through all the mail that's badly addressed and find out if you can find where it should get sent to. And he said, if you can do a year in the dead letter office, then we'll move you up, and it's like a career path. And the thought horrified me because I thought all I wanted to do was have a sack full of letters and walk around the streets. And so. I looked desperately looking around for something to, something else to do. And Dan Burt got in at Leeds University to study something. I can't even remember what he was studying. And he said, oh, you could, if you went to clearing, they might let you in. So I just went through clearing and literally within about a month, I was off to Leeds. And all I knew about Leeds was that, um, you know, Gang of Four and Mekons, you know, bands that I liked that come from there. And what's going on... Uh... Politically at this stage in your life, I mean, I, I want to, before we finish this, I want to talk about the work you're doing with Red Letter and 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 the show that's going out there, We're Not Going Back. But politically, I mean, my, I, I've talked to loads of politicians on the Godcast. I always think about my first political recollections was definitely the minor strike, you know, uh, around the 80s. I was a young kid, but it was always on the news. Uh, what what was it for you? Because, again, you're a little bit older than me. What was stimulating your mind politically well, for the first thing was bands. So I think the, the situation I grew up in and where I was, I was I was like kind of racist, casually racist and homophobic. It was just, I, I, that's what, I was just a, you know, young, young white Burnley kid who didn't know any better. And then Rock Against Racism came along right at the beginning of, of quite quickly during punk. And I, that taught me a lesson that made me grow up and think, ah, oh, okay. And then Tom Robinson brought out Glad to be Gay. So at first I was like, Ugh. you know, so, you know, this punk rock group, they brought out this, this thing and it's, and literally within, again, within six or eight weeks, I was like, what am I thinking? All the cool people know that it's not cool to be a homophobic idiot and racist. And I had a mate, Nadim from Burnley Grammar School, he was like one of only three or four Asian lads in the school. And he was brilliant. He was such an an influential, clever, funny lad. And I just thought, I want to be his mate. He's brilliant. And that's where he started the band with him. And then, and I grew up politically quite quickly after that. And and then it was the um it was the Falklands War was a big thing. And then, as you said, the miners' strike. I was kind of a, a pacifist for a short while, but then the minor strike taught me not to be. I thought, no, I think that if this is about, sorry, this is little Betty, she's making a lot of noise. <laughs> um, yeah, that just made me kind of really think about 
politics and look into it more and do a lot of reading and got involved in peace camps and demonstrations and all that sort of thing, going down to the CND marches in London and all that sort of thing. Have you, um, again, we're talking to politicians, I've, I've had uh, numerous politicians from the left of the Labour Party. Has your political thinking changed much over the years? Or is it uh, still very much caught to those roots of, you know, the kind of, um, you know, the left of, of centre, as it were? Yeah, very left of centre. <laughs> it's hard to say left of centre now because it, it, because that political ground has shifted so much that people who are who can call themselves left of centre, who are, who are, I think are just complete centrists. Yeah. And, um, you know, without kind of being really judgmental about things, I think that... When I first learned about anarchism and started reading about what it was and this this whole idea of uh, not following political parties and trying to create your own communities and all that sort of thing, um, there's nothing happened in terms of uh, parliamentary politics and party politics that has altered my ideas on all that. And in fact, if anything, they've in the last five five ten years, they've become I've become even more hardened against against the obviously against the, the Tory parties and everything and the but even but the Labour Party I think the treatment of Jeremy Corbyn kind of was a, for a lot of young people that was a bit of hope in somebody that that was trying to say something you know with a bit of spirit and you know like yesterday yesterday they announced that we have finally gone over the you know the one and a half degree uh environmental disaster threshold on the same day that Keir Starmer announced that they were putting back the budget on anything on their big their green plan and it just makes me you know and and you know not calling for a ceasefire in 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 Gaza I I just don't understand how anyone who calls themselves on the left would not want a ceasefire with so many thousands of children being killed and um there are things like that in the news every day that just keep me keep me, you know, thinking about politics. Yeah. Why do you think the Labour Party has become that buff? Do you think it's because they 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 recognise it's possibly the only way they'll get into power? Yeah, I think that's possibly true, and that's that's a sad indictment of politics. If it's all about, um, well, how do we get into power rather than what do we believe in? What do we really believe in, and what do we want to try and pass on to to people and to young people and what do we want to, you know, do we just want to follow what, what we think the popular, I mean, that's the problem with populism. If you if you believe that, you end up with Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, and nobody wants that. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if people are interested, there's some interviews on the Godcast, one's with John McDonald, another one is with David Osland, and Richard Bergen is following you, uh, Boff, uh, next up on the, on the Godcast. Um all right, say hello to Richard. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's in your neck of the woods, isn't he? He is, yeah, yeah. I've met him a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. And he, yeah. he has stuck his neck out and called for a ceasefire repeatedly, even yeah. though he's been told by the Labour, you know, apparitioniks, he, he, he has to stop. So respect to him. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people. I mean, I I'm, I feel kind of politically uh, bereft, really. I mean, I probably because of the work I've been doing in, in the circumstances in and around Stoops and... Griffin Estate and Burnley, and, and yeah. uh, you know, I don't think any political party is addressing that anymore. 
But let's move on because it's tw- we've had 25 minutes and I, yeah, could, yeah. I just feel like I could talk to you all afternoon. But um, <clears throat> and and so Ch- Chumbawamba comes along and and you you build up quite a steady following, don't you? Just tell us about those those early successes of the band. Well, what what the when 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 we had a hit with Tub Thumping and what everybody was asking us was like, oh, what's it feel like to have been in a band for like 15 years and then and then suddenly you know it gets successful. And we always said, no, the way we measured success was just being able to spend your life with a bunch of people that you you work with and that you love and that you can cr- do something creative with people that you love for, for that long and still, you know, and not fall out it was just a brilliant thing. So, you know, like we we ended up touring all everywhere, you know, doing like five or six week tours of Germany and Switzerland and America and stuff long before Tub Thumping. And... And those were brilliant times. Just, you know, how we managed it and how we worked out how to how to do that and still really enjoy it and enjoy each other's company and all that sort of thing. We did we also had a thing where right right from the beginning we said, let's not just stick to playing one kind of music. So if we do a couple of albums and we'd kind of go, Yeah, we've kind of got a style there, let's do something totally different. Let's make an a cappella folk album. And then a Couple of years later, we'd go. Mm, yeah, let's 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 do something with loads of dance beats on it. Let's get remixes in and stuff. Yeah, it was just always like a challenge. And so what would happen is that we'd we'd I had a hardcore audience, but then we would lose a lot of our audience whenever we changed and did something else. And then we'd start again with a different audience, and that was great. Always a challenge, always interesting. Yeah, and and tub thumping was stratospheric, wasn't it? It was just extraordinary, and. Was was that an easy thing to deal with? Did you embrace it? And and how do you reflect on it now, Boff? Is it kind of, is it a joy or is it an Achilles heel? You know, is it is mm. it frustrate you that for some people it might be the song that defines you? What's your, what's your thoughts on it all? Yeah, I think if people just know that one song and then that's great, that's good enough for me. In fact, most people don't know who who did the song; they just know that "Get Knocked Down" song, and I, and I love that. It's almost like it's a folk song. It doesn't belong to, you know. I don't think, oh, I have ownership of that song. I just think that's great. It belongs to everyone. You know, and the first time I heard it um, being played at Turf Moor, I was in the toilet. I was I was having a, a pre-match piss and it came over the tannoy and I just felt so proud. I was like, I just thought, this is great. And it's it's become one of those kind of football songs. And I, you know, and I love that. Yeah. It's great. And... and I went to see a Yard Act in Leeds about yeah yeah I've seen three or four months ago yeah brilliant band great Excellent. band yeah they came back on for the encore they had Phil Jupiter's there with them they came back on for the encore and did tub thumping and I just thought this is great this is lovely they they weren't they weren't doing it because I was in the room they were doing it because they they thought hey this is a great party song why not do this for an encore and everybody jumps up and down and has a really good time so I, yeah I just feel really proud of it did you, did you know it was going to be the song it became. Both. I mean, yeah. it's like, I mean, every we've got the full range, got kids, grown-ups, grandparents, they all know Tub Thumping, you know, it is that song, and, and it's timeless as well, isn't it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I love that it's like that, you know, we still get letters from people saying, you know, that we played it at the wedding, or we played it, you know, at such and such an occasion, or a lot of people use it when people are ill and sick, and they use that song, uh, literally playing the song whilst operations are going on and i just think brilliant that's what that's a good thing about music if if, if music can be used for that then then great 
Yeah. And, and what about the end of Chumbawamba? Both, I, um, I don't know if you know Ian McNabb from the High School Works. I, I, he was a guest on the Godcast a few weeks back. And, right. You know, you've got to ask these questions. You know, why did the High School Works split up? And he was, he was quite emotional about it, actually. And and it clearly still causes causes him a lot of pain. I don't know. What is it? Probably 30 years since the High School Works. Yeah, yeah. Um wow. what How did it come about with you? And, and what's it like? Do you, do you miss it? Do you crave for it? No, I, I I really don't miss it at all. I think we because it was it, it went on for so long, and I think that eventually we we kind of we kind of we had a meeting where we said let's let's just do one more year and really enjoy it and just do gigs in places that we really want to go to and visit and uh, and then we'll stop and we'll have a big gig at the end. You know, we're playing leads and everybody that had been in the band before can come along and play and and so it was really. Uh, it was it was quite a kind of dignified exit, really, and I'm really glad that we didn't we did, we don't kind of think oh oh I'm getting bored now can we get back together? Yeah. I just think no, it was a chance for everybody to go off and do other things and find other things to do. Did did you know what you were going to do, or did you did you take time out? How did it how did it fall? Well, I'd already been writing quite a lot, and like me and Alice had always been kind of writers to a certain extent and it just I just started thinking right I can put a lot more effort into that and because I'd done a lot of the uh you know in terms of the kind of songwriting and record production I'd been involved in all that all the way through so it was natural for me to carry on making music and writing and so I just kind of went straight into that mm. and and now you've you you're a playwright you're a you were distinguished writer tell us about your connection with with red ladder and how that came about um i wrote a musical which was based in the the area that i was living at the time in west leeds called armley so i wrote a musical that was about armley about growing up there and everything and somebody that was in it was was uh, worked for red ladder rod worked for red ladder and he liked it and he just said you know do you do any other things like that We'd actually had a couple of drinks um, in the pub after the show when it got to this point where he kind of went, well, why don't you write something for us? And um, I thought, oh, that's interesting, you know, something proper that's going to tour. So I tried doing it and I just thought, this is great. I really enjoy it. And I get to, it's finding a different way of expressing ideas about politics and about the world. And, and I still get to put music in it. So... It was great. And I love working with theatre because you do this thing, um, you write this big thing and then you give it to somebody else and they make it better. You know, actors are fantastic. Yeah. And, yeah. I, you know, certainly, you know, and directors and, you know, they, they come up with ideas that what they can do with your words. And I just really respect that and love it. Yeah. So tell tell people about you. Is it a musical? We're not going. We're... Yeah, We're Not Going Back is one that I wrote 10 years ago for them as a commemoration of the miners' strike. So now it's a 10-year anniversary and uh, Unite the Union have come back and said, we want it, we want to tour it again. So that's happening again. And then I've got another one called Sanctuary, which is going to be on at the end of the year, which will be set in churches, actually, which was about um, somebody seeking, uh, an asylum seeker from Iran seeking refuge in a church. And all the kind of, all the, uh, the kind of social and political fallout that comes with that in terms of, you know, uh, arguments between 
the people who are in the church, the people who work in the church, the priests, etc., and the higher ups in the church, you know, the archbishop, archdeacons, etc., who don't have a as as laissez-faire attitude towards and, and think, well, you know, we don't want to break the law. So it's this about the conversation that you can have about what is refuge, what is sanctuary, how far do you do you should you break the law in, in order to offer somebody refuge who really needs it, who's going to be deported. And um and it's set in a church so that when you're in the audience, you go in and you are in a church and there's a, an altar and an organ and all that sort of thing. Well, do you know what? If you need a venue, you've, you'd be brilliant for you to bring it to my church at St Matthew's. It'd be fabulous. It's a wonderful setting. Yeah, that'd be great, yeah. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Do, because it. we've done a few comedy gigs and, and it's a really lovely venue. And yeah. It'd be lovely to bring uh, the boy from Burnley back. Uh, yeah, it, I'd love to do that. That would be fabulous. Mm. And what about... Um, you just mentioned Yard Act, who I discovered. I went to uh, Tramlines a few years back and discovered them on the, uh, I think it was the introducing stage. A fabulous band. And, and actually, f- was it, you know, there was a lot of kind of big names. I, I found myself in the in the smaller venues and the tents and whatnot, discovering these incredible young bands. Yeah. Are you still um, driven by listening to new music and what anything you'd like to recommend to the, the watcher or listener? Uh- yeah, I do. I still find new things and, and get excited about them. Um, and um, I went to see a band about three or four weeks ago. They were one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. They were called, uh, it's French, so I, I can't remember all the names, but it's basically Orchestre du, du, Duchamp. They're from France. There's about 11 of them on stage with like marimbas and brass. And and they were they just played in a tiny kind of ex-squat venue in Leeds. And they just blew the place apart they were just absolutely fantastic um and i love the idea that i can still you know even at my age and even after all these years i can still be absolutely shocked and excited by music i saw anna meredith who's uh uh about two years ago she was she's a she does you know she does i think she did the scottish symphony orchestra for a while she ran it and she she does a show where it's it's just this crazy kind of philip glass harsh mad music that's that's made with synthesizer and everything but with orchestral pieces as well with like cellos and tuba and again walking into a room and seeing somebody do something that you, you you've not experienced before is just such a thrill i love it yeah i i do too i'm, I'm currently on a, a quest to just find new songs trying to not because i do i'm one of these it's quite gets quite nostalgic and go back to you know madness yeah. in the school discos and whatnot and yeah yeah but at the moment i'm on a, on a real quest to find some new music and there is some fabulous stuff out there so well both it's oh i'll tell you what i wanted to ask you about is um your fell running because i mean i often go up pendle and i see these nutters running up and down i'm thinking who are these people and now <laughs> i'm looking at one <laughs> You, yeah. I mean, where did this love? Is this something you've always had, or no, no? I uh, I just went to watch a race towards the end of the nineteen eighties, around about nineteen ninety, and um, and my dad said, "Oh, there's this thing, you know, fell running, and they do these races. Do you want to come and watch one? Because they do it up, at, you know, at uh, Thievely Pike, up north, yeah, uh, yeah, Tom and Way." And um, so I went to watch a race, and I just thought. The, the the best thing about it that I thought was was um, it wasn't like these athletic, beautiful, you know, fantastic bodies. It wasn't Steve Cram and and you know Sebastian Coe. 
it was like people all shapes and sizes and you know men and women in the same race you know little ones and big ones and you know even people who get to the end and like get a cigarette out and start smoking i just thought this is the sport for me i want to have a go at that and i and i just did it once or twice and and i just thought i love this with a bit of success yeah eventually yeah and within a couple of years i was like I, I was absolutely obsessed. I was running all the time, and yeah, and I was I was doing okay. And I was part of a a team, Pudsey and Bramley, who kind of won the British Championship and you know ran all over the place. Yeah, fabulous. Well, both I've loved chatting to you, and I hope everybody's enjoyed uh, seeing you, listening to what you've got to say. People like musicians has had some fabulous guests on. Spider Stacy from the Pogs. Been oh, yeah, on. I listened to now, it. That was good. Yeah, Ian I listened Mac to the Milltime Brothers. Yeah, I'm going to say Simon Nelson. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, and, uh, Lone Lady is another a female artist. If anybody's not listened to, I really recommend people checking her out. She's fabulous from Manchester, and and there's lots of politicians, not all from the left. There's some from the right as well. So, Boff, thanks so much for your time. Um, maybe on the, maybe see you on the turf in the next few weeks in our yeah. struggles against relegation. Yeah, I still, I, yeah, I can't let go. We'll have a great season next season. It'll be all right. Yeah, we'll be right. It'll be yeah. right, as we say in Burnley. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks very much. I appreciate right. that. God great. bless you. See you. Thanks a lot. See you. Bye.